The title of my sermon is, I'm Right. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ." And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Not that I've already attained or I'm already matured, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I'm right. I want to speak today about two kinds of righteousness. Self-righteousness and a righteousness that comes from God alone as the gift of salvation. Let's start with self-righteousness. Uh, the definition of self-righteousness in the Oxford Dictionary is having or characterised by a certainty, especially an unfounded one, that one is totally correct or morally superior. It seems that self-righteousness is sweeping through this current generation in pandemic proportions. The I'm right is usually followed by and you're wrong. We need to identify how this self-righteousness works in the world because self-righteousness is the root of pride and pride is the greatest sin and the root of all sins that there are. Self-righteousness. You know, someone might say, Donald Trump, he's a misogynist, racist, Nazi bigot. Oh, really? Well, what about you? Someone might say, Hillary Clinton, she's a criminal, lock her up, money-grabbing snob. Oh, really, is she? Well, what about you? Brexiters are ignorant, old, racist idiots. Oh, really? Well, what about you? Remainers are irresponsible, undemocratic, unrealistic and un-British. Oh, really? Is that what they're like? Well, what about you? You see, when we come with self-righteousness, 
It usually comes with a, well, it always comes with a superior tone that looks at others to put down whatever persuasion politically you might be. In Romans chapter 2, I'm not going to turn to it, but I just want to feature it. In Romans chapter 2, the whole chapter talks about people that are self-righteous and pointing out all the wrong, think wrong things with other people and are so busy pointing out their views about other people that they don't realise that what they're pointing out in others is going on in their heart too. You have no excuse when you condemn others, Romans 2 says, because what you're condemning others, you're condemning in yourself, but you don't even realise it. Pointing out the... Um, the speck in someone's eye when you've got a huge big plank in your own. Self-righteousness blinds you to your own sin, but self-righteousness not even, not even focuses on the sins of other, others. It makes sins up that other people don't have. You know, self-righteousness is really when we look inside ourselves for what is right, what the standards are, Who's acceptable? Who's not acceptable? Self-righteousness. And so this means self-righteousness. And they've done studies on how people get their opinions. Why people vote this way or that way. Or, or, or why people think this way or that way. And usually what happens with the majority of us is that when we see something, hear something, meet somebody, we have a an instant sort of emotional reaction to what we hear or what we see. And we have this what we call gut feeling. Oh, I don't like him. Oh, I don't like her. Oh, I'm not sure that's right. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's good. And we have a gut reaction. And normal people, you know what they do? They have a gut reaction about something or someone or something in the news. And then what they do, not often not realising it, They've already made their decision about something. Now they're looking for arguments to back up what they feel. So I don't like this politician. I don't like that politician. I don't like this uh, programme. I don't like the other. And it's a gut emotional feel. And then we say, well, are there any reasons? And we dismiss the other reasons that might counter the argument. That's our natural state. Why? Because we're self righteous by our fallen nature. We're always looking. Well, I don't like it. So it's not to be liked. Well, I don't know if I agree about that. Therefore, nobody else should. It's, it's in our fallen nature. We call, or, or this new generation in the West has been called the identity generation. Because the most important thing to this generation, or many people in this generation, is who am I? It's all about me. What about my views? What about my personal rights? Well, what about God's rights? But we'll come to that later. And so I decide who I am, not you. I might have a male physical body, but if I decide to be a woman, what's it to do with you? I'm right. My rights. Trust in yourself. And this is what Paul is getting to in this particular environment here in Philippians 3. People have come to Christ and what's happening is, is Judaizers are coming along and people that were saved by faith alone, they're saying, oh, okay, you want to get to heaven? Well, there's certain things that you have to do. You have to be circumcised to get into heaven. You then have to follow the law of Moses. 
Well, how do I know I'm following the law of Moses? Just keep following it and make sure that you make the grade. More effort is needed to get into heaven. More effort, more self, more get on with it. Here's your laws, obey them and you shall live. Well, Paul says, beware of these dogs. That's pretty strong language. And he says, we are the circumcision, but not physical, fleshly circumcision, but the circumcision of the heart. We worship in spirit. And uh, he says that there in verse 3. Now, remember, whatever's of the spirit has got nothing to do with the flesh. Remember in Galatians 5, it says, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh it's like oil and water the things of the holy spirit never mix with the things of the flesh well you say well what is the flesh when he says in verse 3 have no confidence in the flesh and focus by rejoicing on jesus what is the flesh well the flesh in this context is Everything that does not rely upon God, but relies upon human effort and strength. So the flesh is human self-confidence. The flesh is human trusting of self. Well, if that's the way I think, it must be right. If that's the way I feel, it must be right. I am the measure of everything around me. The flesh is human effort, the flesh focuses on human resources, human ability, human self-sufficiency, self-dependency, self-containment, self-absorbed, which leads to self-obsession. This is what self-righteousness is. It takes self and it puts it on the throne of our lives as God and master of all things. And Paul says, we're not into that. We don't have confidence in self. We have confidence in Christ. But then it's interesting. He says, have no confidence in self. But then in verse 4, it's interesting. He says, though, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So what Paul is saying, you want to talk about the flesh, well, the flesh profits nothing when it comes to God. It's, it's the flesh. But I tell you what, if you're going to talk about how good you are in the flesh, your own self-confidence, self-sufficiency, what you've achieved by your own ability, your academic qualifications, how, how good you are at business, how competent you are, if you're going to talk about those things as, as the way to God, and, and, and the way to heaven. Well, let me tell you something. I was where you were. And I was the best of the best. If anyone can boast in their fleshly attainments without God, then I can boast more. Look at my pedigree. I was born of Israel. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only that, I had the best education that you could have as a Jewish boy. I was top in my class. I got a PhD from Oxford in Old Testament law study. There was nothing that you could teach me. I teach you because I was cleverer cleverer than you, I was better educated than you, I came from a better family than you, and when it comes to zeal, when it comes to fleshly human effort, I was better than you all. I was so zealous, people couldn't keep up with me, I persecuted the church, people were astonished, they said, this Paul is the real deal, he knows everything about the law, he lives according to the law like nobody we've ever met, I mean, no one can surpass 
Paul in the way that he's living his Judaism. Nobody can beat him. He's just so too superior. And Paul knew he was superior at the time. And that's where his confidence was. Walking around as the Premier League Jew, he was superior than everybody else. That's what made him so good. That's what made him so right. Paul could confidently look at those around him and say, do you know what? I'm right. Consider yourself wrong. So there is Paul boasting, saying, I had all these things. Whatever you're trying to do by your own effort, by your own competence, I was better than you. Well, what happened to you, Paul? Well, he says, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, the things I focused on, the thing I prized, my self-confidence and self-righteousness, but those that were gained to me, I have counted them loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things for loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Wow. That word rubbish, it's even stronger than that, you know. It means dung, like cow dung. So that what happened to him? Here he is, he's the Premier League Jew. He's superior than anybody around him in his religious fervour, in his education, in his pedigree and background. He is the top of the tops. And what was it that caused him to suddenly treat all of that self-achievement and self-confidence, self-effort, and to take it and to say, rubbish, rubbish, and throw it down as if it was meaningless, terrible. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today that are like Paul but have not yet met Christ. And everything that they prize is their achievements or their opinions or who they are. And it doesn't mean that they have to be the best in the media or the best in politics or the best in sport. Uh, This can happen to people that haven't achieved any of those things. Sometimes they say, well, I, I, I could have been a footballer as good as David Beckham, you know. I had an injury when I was eight, and uh, that stopped me. What's that? That's self-righteousness. So it's not just those that achieve, it's those that didn't achieve or didn't achieve. Some of the most self-righteous people that you can meet meet have done nothing. But they know how to self-justify their reason. Well, if you'd been me and had me, you wouldn't be, you, you know, I could have been this, I could have been that, but, but, but is always the but of self-righteousness. But here's Paul. Something happened to him. What happened to him? Well, it says here, I counted it loss for Christ. I count all these things so that I know Jesus. I count all of this as rubbish, dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Well, something happened. Paul, who was self-obsessed, that's what self-righteousness does. I'm right. Looking inside, always, always looking inside of what I feel, what I think's right, what I think's wrong, and what I think's right must be right because I think it, and what I think is wrong must be wrong because I think it. And if I change my mind, that's okay because I'll just change what I think's right. And this whole sort of inward looking, what happened was God turned up, and all of a sudden, instead of looking inward to his own ability, he saw a vision of Christ. And when he saw who Christ was, he realized that he wasn't as superior as he thought he was. He realized this is the superior one. 
this is the right one. And when he saw Christ, he realised that everything that was right was right about Christ. That Christ was right in everything that he said. That Christ was right in everything that he did. And that when you talk about self-righteousness, when he saw Jesus as he really was, he realised that everything he had was wrong. And everything that Christ had was right. And he looked from, he stopped looking at himself and his own achievements and failures. And instead now, he began to look at Christ. We know when this happened, Jesus knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus. And everything changed. Paul no longer looked to himself for right living, right talking, the right standard. He didn't say, well... I'll judge everything in the world, thank you very much, and I'm right. He thought, oh my God, when he fell off his horse, remember? He thought, oh my God, everything I thought was right was wrong all along. Paul, why do you persecute me? What? I thought I was doing God's will. Everything I thought was right was wrong. Everything I put my confidence in, my education, my my skills, my superiority over others that made me feel good, everything I put my confidence in was wrong. But when I look at this Jesus, I realise that everything about him is right. He's right. I'm wrong. I want his rightness. I don't want to be self-righteous Anymore. Well, what was it about Jesus that was so right that it made Paul treat all his past achievements and accomplishments as rubbish? Well, we see this earlier on, if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. This is the Christ that when Paul realised who it was, gave up all his self-effort, self-centeredness, selfishness, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-absorbed, self-trusting. This is the Christ that made him give all that up and to say, for, for me it's no longer I that live, but this Christ, that's what I want. I want him and his rightness. So let's read together. Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, that's self-righteousness, or conceit or pride, but in humility of mind, the opposite to self-righteousness, let each esteem and honour others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, self-righteousness, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and giving him the name which is above every other name. The total opposite to self-righteousness. And I tell you what, if anyone could be self-righteous, it could be Jesus. I mean self-righteous if there was a good self-righteousness. Because Jesus was God. 
Jesus was king. There he is, a description of him. This is the description that so moved Paul. He's God. He's co-equal with the Father. He's co-equal with the, uh, the Holy Spirit. He's God. But he didn't stay there on his throne as God. But he chose in humility to come off his throne and come down and be with us over whom he is so much more superior. He's the God-made man. And then as the God-made man, he didn't walk around saying, I'm superior, I'm superior, but he humbled himself to serve. And his whole life to that point on the cross is summed up in one word in this description, obedience. Look at that. He left heaven. He came to become a servant man on earth. He was obedient. He died on the cross. He rose again. Obedience, humility, modelling, this mind to be in us, which is the opposite to self-righteousness. Amazing that Paul sees this man and realises that everything Jesus ever said was right. Everything Jesus ever did was right and pure and holy and good and kind. And that when Jesus dealt, died on the cross, it was a picture of the rightness and love of God. And when Jesus rose again, it was because he was right and death could not hold him. And when Jesus went up and is now interceding on behalf, it's because he was right. He was right all along. He brought the right news of the Father. He brought the right message of God. He died the right death so that we could live. He took our sins on himself because he was so right and sin could not be found in him. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world by his spotless, righteous or right life and he did it all for us. Paul was amazed and he thought, what am I doing? How, what am, what, how have I been living? What am I doing? Trying to get better, trying to, trying to rely on myself. How, how can I consider myself so right when before me is the right, righteous Son of God? And as he saw Jesus in all his rightness and righteousness, it was like Jesus shone back and showed that in Paul's life, everything that he thought of self-righteousness, I'm right, he realised that his whole I'm right had to be crucified and buried and that from now on, Jesus would be his rightness and Jesus would be his righteousness. I want to take you to Romans 4 to explain a little, well, in a minute, just uh, to Romans 4, but before we do that, look how Paul speaks about a different rightness a different righteousness than the one that he had had, the self-righteousness, the flesh, the trying to be superior, the trying to work your way into God's good books, the trying to, to somehow save yourself. Here it is. I count them rubbish in verse 8 that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own rightness. I'm right. Not having my own righteousness or my own rightness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith and trust in Christ. Listen, the rightness or righteousness which is from God by faith. In other words, Paul was saying this self-righteousness that is, is me trying to do it all. There's another righteousness. It's not inside me and it's not my own. 
It's a different righteousness. It's what theologians call an alien righteousness. It doesn't mean that there's aliens. It means it's not your own. It doesn't come from you. It's external. He said there's a rightness, a righteousness that's out there that is totally different to me trying to be self-righteousness, to live in the flesh, to work in the flesh, to be self-confident. There's a rightness that's out there, and that's what I want. How do you get it? Well, now let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, the chapter which R.T. Kendall says will be the chapter that uh, will become the engine, the driving engine of the next uh, revival. The chapter that the famous preacher John Piper says is at the heart of every revival that's ever taken place. Romans chapter 4. Well, let's read and find about this rightness that is not our own and how we can get that. Chapter 4, Romans. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Let's just stop there. Remember Paul, he said, hey... I'm not doing anything by the flesh, but if I did work by the flesh, I'm better than you. Remember that? Better educated than you, more successful than you, more zealous from you, come from a better background. Remember that? Boasting in the flesh. Well, look here, Abraham. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about. (laughs) Paul boasted, although he discounted the flesh, but he said, hey, if we're talking the flesh, I'm better than you. Well, if we're talking the flesh, how much better is Abraham? Abraham, the founder of the Hebrew religion. Abraham, the man who God found, uh, the, 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 the man who everybody wants as the founder of their religion. The Jews believe that Abraham was the founder of their religion. He is. The Christians claim Abraham as our father of our faith. He is. And even Muslims seek to claim Abraham as the founder of his religion, which he ain't. Everybody wants a piece of Abraham. Why? Because he was such a great man in the flesh. So he could boast a lot. We go, oh, Abraham and Paul. Wow, that's high standards. But listen. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. Justified by works. What does it mean to be justified? Well, have you ever noticed that self-righteous people, including us when we're self-righteous, we're always going around justifying our actions. It's never our fault, is it? Never our fault. Why? We're self-justifying. It's never our fault. It was always somebody else's. Or we always find an excuse. Self-righteous people or self-justifying people, they always say, well, this is the best you'll get from them. Well, I'm sorry, but... Have you ever heard that coming? Come on and say, all right, well, I just want to apologise. And you go, oh, well, that's, that's humble. But then they put it, but... And then you go, okay, it's not an apology at all. And then you get a whole bunch of self-justifying, not my fault... Uh, I'm, I'm still okay. I didn't really do anything wrong. I, you misunderstood my heart. You misunderstood all these things. And again, begins to uh, um, uh, accuse others, you know. And we've got this in society all the time. Everybody's a victim. If you go to jail, it's not my fault. If something bad, it's not my fault. It's not. Everybody wants to be the victim. I'm not saying that there aren't victims in life. Please hear me. I'm just using this. But a lot of people, sometimes they play the victim card. 
and it's not appropriate. What are they doing? They're justifying themselves. So Abraham, if he's justified by works, he's got something to boast about. Like Paul, I'm better than you. I'm cleverer than you. And we see this in the world all the time. People say, I'm cleverer than you, so my opinion counts, yours doesn't. I've got a better education than you. I'm from the media, I'm famous, so my opinion counts more than your opinion. Why? Because I'm better than you. You know what I'm talking about? This justifying, I'm better than you. But here, what, what Paul is saying, well, Abraham might be a lot better than us, but he can't boast before God. Why? Because God isn't interested in your boasting and in your self-righteous pride. He's not interested in our self-righteous pride. It doesn't mean anything to him. It can't get you into heaven. It won't make you accepted. It's impossible for self-righteousness to boast before God. But now, we're talking about self-righteous. Now let's talk about the other type of rightness that comes from God, not human beings. Verse 3, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed, trusted God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. For now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Keep thinking about that word, accounted. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute or account sin. Now I want us to stop a second in this passage and focus in one particular word. There in verse 3 it first turned up. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him. For righteousness. This word accounted, the New Testament was written in Greek, and I want to show you the Greek word. The Greek word is logizomai, logizomai. And this word means accounted, reckoned, credited, imputed. When it's used in verse 8, does not impute sin. That's the word, logizomai, um, accounted there, reckoned, credited, imputed. And this word is an accounting word. That's how it was used in New Testament and ancient Greek. Inca- accounted, credited, reckoned. And we get the English words from this word, such as logistics comes from this Greek word, or logarithms comes from this word. So this is an accounting term. Uh, I'm going to show you another aspect of this accounting term that's more emotional than personal in a minute, but let's stay with it as the accounting term that it firstly is. What does this mean? It means that when we trust in the rightness of Christ, something happens in our lives. When we trust that Jesus was right, and that Jesus, everything that Jesus did, he did for us. Think about this. Everything that Jesus did, he did for you. He left heaven for you and came to earth as a, as a man for you. He was obedient to the Father for you. He obeyed the law and passed the law's exam for you. He took the test so that you could get the grave, grade. He died on the cross for you. He rose again for you. He ascended into heaven for you and he's praying for you. 
everything that Jesus did, everything that he did, he did for you. And when you trust in that, when you believe that everything he did, he did for you, guess what? It's suddenly credited, accounted to your heavenly account. Let me use the, uh, uh, the, the illustration of a heavenly account, all right? Just because this is your heavenly account. Before God, in your heavenly account, where righteousness is found, you are horrendously overdrawn and in debt by sin. Your account before God, your righteous account before God, is billions and billions. If it was in pound notes, it's pound coins. It is billions and billions and billions in debt. That's your account before God because of sin. And uh, it, it is impossible for you to pay off by yourself. Unfortunately, self-righteous people think they can pay it off. Even self-righteous Christians. They go, oh, I went to the 2.30 service today, so that's a fiver. That's a fiver to pay off. I went to cell group this week. That's at least 15 quid. Paid off. Not bad, eh, God? I'm doing good, aren't I? Uh, well, I, I, I'm a cell leader, so that's 100 quid, isn't it? I'm a primary cell leader, so that's got to be 1,000 quid off, isn't it? Oh, I'm paying it off. And the trouble with self-righteousness is you tend to think that if, if, if there is any debt that you need to pay off, it's very small because you're self-righteous. In fact, some people are so self-righteous, they don't think that they're sinners. Some people are so self-righteous, they think God owes them. Have you ever met them? I don't need a saviour. I'm not a sinner. I don't need your saviour. In fact, if there is a God, which I highly doubt, when I meet him, I've got a few things I'm going to tell him. I've got a few things to ask him. Why? Because I'm right. You see? But when you realise how much in debt you are, that's not the right way to go. That, that is the flesh. That is self-righteousness. But here, we find in this passage that a righteousness that's not my own. When you say, well, I believe that everything Jesus did for, not just dying, everything he did, he did for me, I believe. And I'm going to trust in that to get into heaven and to have a relationship with God and to live powerfully on earth. The moment you have faith in that righteousness, then what happens? The millions and millions and millions of, of debt that you have in this illustration is going to be dealt with. It's going to be dealt with. It's like, it's like when you trust Christ and, and you say, I believe everything he did, he did for me and for my account. Then imagine you do that in your heart and you believe it, that he died for you, lived for you, rose for you. And then you go to that little hole in the wall where you get your cash out. You remember that? I don't know if you've ever been in that place I have where, where you know you're in debt, but you don't want to face it. And you don't know how, want to know how much is that in account. And you're like, you put in your pin, 10 pounds. Do you want your account? No. <laughs> Do you want a receipt to show? No, I, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to. I remember once I went on for months and months. I was so frightened to see what debt I was. I didn't want to face up to it that I would go in and I'd be like, 10 quid. <laughs> but sooner or later, there's a reckoning, isn't there? Letter from the bank. You've gone over your, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Well, imagine you're in such, you realize you're in such debt and you go in there 
and you say, oh, I'm going to face up to it. Well, I believed in Christ. I don't know if that's made any difference to my heavenly account with God. And then you look in, and all of a sudden the computer starts going crazy. Zeros are flying by. One, you see one, and then you see zero, 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 zero. And zillions of pounds. Zillions. Not just that God has wiped out the debt, because God wipes out your past debt. Well, how much have you got in your account? Nothing. Thank you for wiping out the debt. I've got nothing to live on. But you see in your account zillions and zillions of pounds. And you go in to see the bank manager. And you say, um, I've got a query about my account. I'm sure there's nothing wrong. But I've got zillions and zillions of pounds in my account. And the bank manager says, ah, yes, well, what's happened is uh, we heard that, that you are in union with Christ and that you trust Christ and believe in Christ and, and you put all your faith in him and you're united with him. So what he did is he, um, he merged his account with yours. You're a, you're a joint account holder with Jesus Christ. What? So all that's in the, yeah, everything he's done is done for you. All his credit, this is accounting terms in, all his rightness. His right saying, his right speaking, his right living, his right dying, his right resurrection, his right ascension, all of that. He said, I've done it for you because you couldn't do it because you're morally, spiritually bankrupt to a place that, that if you try to pay it off yourself as some will, there's not long enough in eternity. You'll be paying it off forever and ever and ever and ever. But guess what? My blood is eternal and my blood is so precious that one drop can pay for all the debt sins of the world. And I did it for you. Wow. So all of this has been credited. There it is in Romans 4. Credited to your account and now you're no longer looking to yourself but you're saying I'm not looking at me any longer Paul says I've died for me to, to, I have died and, and, and Christ is my life I've been crucified with Christ I no longer live I don't want any self-righteousness anymore those filthy rags of self-righteousness I trust him he's my rightness he's my right speaking he's my right dying whatever's happened to him has happened to me why because I'm in him that's what he says there in Philippians. He says to be found in him. Right through the New Testament we have this word, in him, in him you have, in him, in him. What does it mean? It simply means you've identified with his righteousness and you put all, as R.T. says, you put all your eggs in Jesus' basket. You say, I'm right because he's right. I'm righteous because he's righteous. It's nothing of myself. It's not internal. It's not me. It's always external. It's his righteousness. But because I trust in it, it's applied for my life. Now, the second part of this word, logizomai, I said I'd come to, because that's like transactional accounting terms, and that's what it is. But there's a second aspect to this word, logizomai. And this has got an emotional quality to it. It's not just like, oh, well, it's been deposited in your account. It means to treat as, to regard as. And what this means is this, that when you stop trusting in your rightness, 
or your lack of rightness. There may be somebody, some people here, you're not self-righteous at all. You're the, you think you're an absolute loser. You think that you've got nothing to offer, nothing to give. Well, you need Christ's rightness as much as somebody who thinks they're self-righteous. This is for everybody. And, and to believe in his right, rightness, what this does is the moment you trust in Jesus' rightness and his righteousness, and that everything he did, he did for you. The moment you do that, the Father changes his attitude to you. He, cha- he regards you differently. He doesn't regard you according to your sin or your self-righteous pride. He regards you and treats you as he treats his own dear son. You now have access, free access into the Holy of Holies of heaven in prayer. You have access to the Father's kingdom power in the name of Jesus. You have forgiveness of sins because you're in Jesus and you trust in his righteousness, his rightness. Because you trust in Jesus' righteousness, the Father accepts you totally and forgives you utterly. Because you say his rightness, not my rightness, the Father sends his Holy Spirit. He's cleansed your heart by faith. He sends his Holy Spirit to empower you. He sends to you a new nature, your born-again nature, which is a new engine. He takes out the old engine of the old life and he puts in the new engine, turbo-boosted Holy Spirit fuel-injected so that you can now live by the power of the Holy Spirit that's not your own. You can now not rely on your confidence. You can now go through life relying on his confidence before the Father. You don't have to trust your own abilities to get through. You can trust in his abilities and the enablements of his Holy Spirit. You you don't have to strive in fleshly effort, but you can rise up in consecration and Holy Ghost encouraged obedience because you're already made right. You're already accepted in the blood, beloved. You've already got all things in Christ. None of it's because of you. It's only because of him. But he did do it on your behalf and all you have to do is trust his rightness and everything changes. Not I'm right, but I have a rightness that's not my own. And in that I Trust the righteousness that comes from God. The New Testament, you could go through it, says that Christ is our righteousness. Not I'm right, but Christ, Christ is my rightness. Christ is my rightness. Christ, Christ, Christ. This means that you no longer focus on you, your opinions, your this, your that, your reactions, your, your that, your superiority. Whatever gifts you may have in this life, you don't put your identity into them. Whatever success you have in this life, you don't put your identity into it. You don't become self-righteous. You don't, you don't begin to feel superiority. But you realise that before God, Christ is your rightness. Christ is everything you have, no matter how good it is. 
No matter how good it is, a good education, a good job, all these things are good, but no matter what they are, you don't put your trust into them. You don't define yourself by them. In fact, you treat them as rubbish because you're not looking at you and your attainments and your abilities or not, but your gaze is on him, his abilities, his attainments, his victories, his grace, his mercy, his Holy Spirit, his power. You are now outward focused, not inward obsessed, but you become Christ obsessed, Christ devoted, Christ focused. You get rid of all that stuff. Why? I want Christ. He's the right one. Everything he says is right. Everything he does is right. Everything he's achieved is right. Everything about him is so beautiful, so loving, so worthy, so righteous, so graceful, so amazing. Everything about him is everything I need. I want Jesus because Jesus is right, righteous, everything. I don't want to trust me. I want to trust him. That's going to bring a a new devotion out of your life. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. And then also it's going to give you a new confidence because you'll be able to live your life, not in the confidence of the flesh of what you can or can't do without him, but you're going to start having a confidence in his rightness. A confidence in your, your acceptance because of his rightness. A confidence in prayer. Even if you're having a bad time and a little bit backslidden, you'll still have confidence that God will turn things around. Not because you're not so righteous at the moment, because he remains righteous. And his righteousness always, always stands in the gap for you you. You're going to be able to rise up out of all the stuff that pulls you down that is the flesh. You're going to be able to cooperate with the Holy Spirit that comes because of his rightness. And the Holy Spirit is going to, and you're going to be free. And finally, you're going to be free to have the same mind that was in Christ. You're going to say, I don't have to be self. I know it's a journey. I know it's a journey. Okay. It doesn't happen overnight, but you don't have to be self-absorbed anymore. Self-possessed or or navel-gazing, am I doing well, am I doing wrong? Uh, Coming out, trying to find a power or a strength or a superiority that makes you worthwhile coming from from within or or you feel unworthwhile because you don't think you're living up to some man-made standard or you think you are worthwhile because you're superior than others. You're not going to look at your worth. You're going to look at the worth of his rightness and that's going to free you to do what we're called to do which is love God with all our heart and our neighbour as ourself have this mind in Christ not exalting self above others I'm better than you that shows me how good I am but seeking the good of others like Christ learning and growing to love your neighbour as yourself to, to begin to look outwards to others who are trapped in their own self-righteousness to tell them that there's a rightness that can be credited to their account that will wipe out sins put in an abundance of grace that can can never wear out and and release so that we can walk in newness of life this potted version that I've given you is the gospel of God let's bow our heads in prayer